Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every Monday with a new story about your world. Today's guest is Jack Harrison Quintana, Director for Grinder for Equality, the sexual health and social justice arm of the world's largest social networking app for gay, bi, trans, and queer people. We'll talk about the little app that has forever changed the gay dating scene here and across the planet and how the profitable social media app is working for important causes in the queer community throughout the world. I want to thank all of you following Jesse Garcia's show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about the show, visit jessegarciashow.com. Attention civil rights activists. The American Civil Liberties Union is holding its membership conference in Washington, D.C. June 10th through the 12th at the D.C. Convention Center. Come explore issues and activism with speakers like Senator Elizabeth Warren, Congressman and civil rights icon John Lewis, and Cecile Richards of Planned Parenthood. Register today at conference.aclu.org. You can also call 1-866-815-1440. That's 1-866-815-1440. And here's your weekly news update. Once again, the Trump administration has come after the transgender community, this time abolishing a rule issued by President Obama that prevented healthcare providers and insurers from discriminating against transgender people, according to a report by the New York Times. The Obama-era rule prohibited discrimination based on race, age, color, national origin, sex, or disability for health programs that receive federal funds. This is the latest effort by the Trump administration to roll back civil rights gains made by the transgender community during the Obama years. Since day one of the Trump administration, the erasure of the trans community has been a constant exercise, beginning with the discontinuation of references of the community from the White House website. The following month, President Trump rescinded protections for transgender students that had allowed them to use bathrooms matching their gender identity. In August 2017, President Trump ordered the military to ban openly transgender people from serving in the armed forces, which was later struck down by federal courts. In October 2017, the Justice Department reversed a policy that protected transgender workers from being fired from a job for being transgender. The Justice Department later followed up with religious liberty guidance to federal agencies, which created a license to discriminate against LGBTQ individuals. And right before Christmas 2017, the Trump administration banned officials at the nation's top public health agencies from using a list of words that include the word transgender in any future documents being prepared for next year's budget. While President Trump has succeeded in taking the rights of transgender people away, major state laws by Republicans targeting the LGBTQ community have failed to make any movement, according to NBC News. Around 120 proposed state bills that threaten LGBTQ civil rights failed to become law, and only two remain under serious consideration. A key factor in the shift, according to NBC News, 
is that Republican-led states where these type of bills surface, such as bathroom bills that target the transgender community, have moderate GOP lawmakers and business leaders increasingly worried about losing conventions, sporting events, and corporate headquarters. Civil rights activists are targeting business leaders and political donors' pocketbooks to change minds, since respect for a fellow human being no longer changes hearts. Nearly 10 years ago, Grindr burst onto the scene and quickly became the world's largest social networking app for gay, bi, trans, and queer people. Its GPS technology, coupled with innovative tools, drew millions to download the app and brought the dating scene into the 21st century. The app has grown so big that it has created a department within the company that centers on sexual health and social justice, led by a gay Latino named Jack Harrison Quintana, a nonprofit warrior who's bringing a philanthropic heart to a media giant. I want to welcome to the show Jack Harrison Quintana, a good friend of mine who has worked in many roles in the LGBTQ civil rights community most recently with the National LGBT Task Force. How has the change been from going from a nonprofit to working for a for-profit giant like Grindr? Sure. Well, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of podcasts, and I've never actually been on one, so this is very fun. Um, yeah, you know, most of my career has been at nonprofits, uh, all LGBTQ nonprofits. I, my first LGBTQ job was actually in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, uh, where I just uh, was doing some very basic helping, you know, uh, with, you know, rewriting grant proposals in very beautiful English and carrying things around the office. And now I've worked for many nonprofits, including the National LGBTQ Task Force, which I'm not sure that everyone out there knows is actually the oldest still existing national queer nonprofit. Um, but I moved on from there three years ago to found Grinder for Equality, uh, which is really the app's program for social justice and figuring out how to use the network for social justice and particularly for LGBTQ health and human rights. So tell us about Grinder. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows it's one of the, the oldest and largest social media app, but tell us. Mm-hmm. All, all it does, all, all the people it reaches. Sure. So Grinder just turned ninety, or sorry, nine years old. Um, they, we were the first geolocation-based dating app. So you know, sometimes people talk about the straight dating apps, and when they're trying to understand what Grinder is, they say, "Oh, that's the gay version of you know one of these straight apps." And I say, "Actually, you know, we were first, and uh, some of the straight apps are really the straight version of Grinder." <laughs> Um, but we uh, were founded in West Hollywood nine years ago and have grown a lot to the point now where we have over 3.5 million daily active users logging in from 197 countries, which is basically uh, you know, virtually every country in the world, kind of depending on how you count countries and what counts as a country, <laughs> which I could talk about at length. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, you know, we are the largest network of gay, bi, trans, and queer people in the world. And so my job really is to think about that and the kind of unique resources that we have as uh, in our position as the largest network. And you're the vice president for social impact. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. So I started as director of, of Grinder for Equality and um, am now the vice president of social impact. And yeah, you know, I talk about my job in terms of uh, LGBTQ people um, or the kind of segment of that population that uses Grindr. Because of Grindr, we are uh, the world's oppressed people who is the most networked, right? There's no other kind of oppressed group in the world who has an app that they, so many of the group log in so regularly. Um, and so basically, you know, when I saw the job announcement, I thought, well, what an incredible tool, what an incredible opportunity to impact the community. Using the power, using this power for good. Because yeah. uh, my friend and I were talking about the app and the interview that we're gonna, I was going to do today. And we were just talking about how it's really changed things. You know, people no longer have to go and out themselves, I don't know, public place just to meet another individual who's LGBT. And it also provides uh, sort of like a sort of like it helps a person find that particular person that they're looking for because mm -hmm. it breaks it down to so many different types. Mm -hmm. But there's also like well, nobody needs to go to the gay bar anymore. Hmm. So there's a little like give and take in the community and how Grindr has really changed things. And there's not just Grindr, but there's other, you know, other competitors that are copying the same thing. It's really just changed our way of dating and relating to others. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think one thing that I really try to fill people in on, too, is that the way that people use Grindr outside of the United States can be really different. Um, than in, in the U.S. or in the U.K. or Australia. And, you know, we really talk about ourselves as a dating app, and I know people think about us in terms of dating and sex and uh, meeting people. Yeah. I try to use it as a dating app. Not successfully. I try. <laughs> but it's really, you know, for others, it's a hookup app. And it, cu it just cuts to the, to the chase and takes out the middleman, and you just get to discuss what you really want. Right. I think that's right. It, it connects you to community in whatever way you're looking for. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is outside of kind of the UK, Australia, Canada, the US, um, and sort of other places uh, where people can be open or where people have certain rights, um, in other parts of the world, people log in really just as much to find community in terms of friends or connecting to people to talk to about what they're going through as they might, you know, looking for a boyfriend. So I think that it, for much of the world, it's really just a community space. And, you know, I, I had this moment, I guess it's now a year and a half ago, um, when the Indonesian government had spent kind of the previous 10 months really cracking down on LGBT people and it finally kind of came around to Grindr and they started leaning on individual internet service providers to to filter out Grindr and not let people log on and so because of that I 
got in really close touch with a lot of Grindr users in Indonesia. And one of the things that I heard from them that really stuck with me was there was a story of a guy who said that, you know, he, he described himself as being very feminine and that everyone could tell he was queer if he met them. And so he was facing a lot of job discrimination and he couldn't get a job. But when he was just meeting people on Grindr and looking around, he found someone who had a flower shop and who needed help and so he was actually really able to get a job through Grindr and you know people meet their friends people find all kinds of different ways to connect to community through the app before you got hired at Grindr were you an active user I was I actually you know the when I got my first iPhone which was very early in the kind of Grindr life cycle that was the first thing I downloaded uh, I had heard about it I was very plugged in to the LGBTQ community and I had heard about it and I was very excited about it uh, I think that's like I was talking to you earlier, I think that's the reason, number one reason why there's so many iPhones. How uh, I conquered the market because all my friends that were on there, you know, Blackberries were ditching them mm. to switch over to iPhones so they could mm. get on this miracle app that will help your dating world, you know, expand exponentially because you had access to this new uh, media tool and everybody was like switching over in the you know late 2000s and. I finally did it in 2011. Got scared, downloaded. I was thinking, oh my God, this is, I'm out of my league here. <laughs> Got scared, but yeah, it, it changed it changed society overnight. Yeah, and you know, I, I loved it from the very beginning. I, I think I'm what we call a power user. I use it a lot. Um, and I've had very good luck on Grindr, made some really uh, deep and meaningful relationships there. And then when I went to work for them, or, or I guess, you know, the story of me going to work for them was that I had a former employee who from at the task force who was looking for a new job. I was not looking for a new job. Yeah. I was, you know, perfectly happy. And but the my former employee was looking at all these job listings and came across one for the director of Grinder for Equality. And the description said they needed someone who could um, do global work and U.S. domestic work uh, in terms of kind of human rights or civil rights, and then also health, you know, HIV and health work, both domestically and internationally. And I think for a lot of people in our field around LGBT rights, they generally fit into kind of one of these four quadrants, you know, international health domestic health, uh, international human rights, or U.S. civil rights. Uh, but I've always been very much a generalist. And, you know, also being grinder, they needed someone who had a certain kind of sex positive bent to their uh, point of view as an activist. And obviously I had that too. And so when my former employee sent me the posting, they said, you know, it really sounds like they're describing you. I don't know that many people who this could be describing. And initially I thought, oh, that's funny. That's kind of true. And and then closed the email and didn't think about it. And then over the next week, about five or six more people sent it to me. And I thought, well, maybe I should really, you know, consider this. And I started thinking and I started learning more about Grindr and, you know, how many people and how many places it touches. And, and that's what made me think, okay, let's try this. And how's the culture here at Grindr? 
You know, I love the culture. I have actually Grinder is based in Los Angeles, and I have been. I've stayed in D.C. where I've always lived since college. Um, so I don't live kind of in the office, though I do spend a quarter of my time there. And I have to say, I think one of the most interesting things for me has been just spending so much time in L.A. I had never been before at all. And I am a Mexican-American who comes from a town where we were really the only Latinos. You know, there were there were more and more as I grew up, um, mostly Guatemalan and Guatemalan-Americans. Um, but I grew up really in a community where we were the only brown folks. And so spending this much time in Los Angeles has been so interesting being around so many Mexican Americans <laughs> everywhere, you know, hearing so much Spanish, eating so much good Latino food. Um, and that has been really a really fun part of the experience. In terms of the the culture at Grinder itself, you know, I I never know quite what people are expecting when they ask that question, but you know, a lot of us there are computer programmers. So I think that it is a lot more like a tech office yes. than anything else. But the leaders, are they tend to be liberal minded, definitely. Oh yeah. And very receptive to different ideas. Oh, definitely. I mean, I you know, lots and lots of us are queer who work there. So that's definitely uh, an overarching overarching part of our culture. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, basic, I think being in a workplace, even if it's not exactly like uh, being at an LGBT nonprofit, being in a workplace where people are really thinking every day about the lives of LGBT people all over the world is thrilling. I mean, I love it. What do your parents think about you? Oh, my God. Working for Grinder. <laughs> you know, I have, uh, I, I talk about my privilege a lot, you know, being an American, talking to people from the global south, or being, you know, a man. Uh, all, there are all kinds of ways in which I'm very, very privileged. Uh, but my parents, I always say, uh, have been the greatest privilege of my life. Like, the reason why I'm able to be the person I am be as confident as I am and do all the work that I do has been because of them. And, you know, I, I think that what they taught me from a very young age was just to be yourself, live your life out loud as much as is safe, as much of the time as is possible. And um, that has definitely been, I think when they first gave me that advice, they didn't necessarily know all what it You were going to run with it all the way. Do they get a grasp of what Grinder is? Oh, yeah, 100%. They, they know everything. You know, my mom is a therapist, and mm -hmm. she uh, sees a lot of LGBTQ clients. Yeah. So she knows everything about our community. There's no there's no, even if I wanted to keep secrets from her about the way our community works, you know, she knows everything. And they're very, very proud of me. You know, they don't, um, I don't think there's any shame for anyone in my family about what I do and who I do it for. How are you able to use to fulfill the goals of your job? How do you use Grinder to reach those goals? Well, we do four things at Grinder for Equality, and the foundation of our work, the one of the four, is really uh, based on our ability to message our users in as specific as a city block or as big as you know a whole country or the whole world all at once. So I just am able to really speak to our community um, 
you know, in a way that can be done at scale, but is also kind of has the potential to be tailored to their individual needs. Uh, so, you know, we send out different messages depending on what country you're in. We send out different messages depending on, you know, like you, uh, we can kind of target the messages based on whether you've said you're trans or not, or, you know, depending on your age. So there's certain health things that we message about that uh, your age might matter for. Like in the U.S., you age out of being able to get the HPV vaccine at 26. So we're able to kind of, you know, do messages that people would get um, only if they're within the uh, within the kind of world of who we're trying to talk to. And that is a big part of what we're able to offer both local groups who might be doing work um, in a certain area and also just, you know, for ourselves to really put out our messages. I was going to ask you, how do you work with local groups and how can they get in touch with Grindr? Like, what is the pathway? I'm talking from, like, PSAs to advertising. Well, everyone can reach me at, uh, or my team, at equality at grinder.com. And the only trick about that is that Grinder has no E. I kind of live in fear that people are emailing me at grinder.com. Um, and the way that we work with local groups is, you know, we know, knowing that we cover 197 countries, you know, 3.5 million people every day, uh, we know what we don't know, right? Like, as uh, North Americans, as uh, U.S. people, as uh, people who speak English primarily, you know, we know that we don't know uh, all the messages that need to go out to different groups of people. So we really work very closely with local groups. And I would say that our model is really kind of just to offer the, our resources and the kinds of things we're able to do and then let local groups uh, self-determine as much as possible, you know, what is going to be the best use of these tools for their situation. What are some of the innovative stuff that Grinders working on in the next five to ten years? Can you share that, or is it <laughs> secrets? Trade secrets. No, I mean I love to talk about what we want to do. I think that for me, especially coming from uh, you know being multiracial myself, one of the things that I really think about is language access, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of information. Uh, that we either currently share or want to share, um, but a lot of it is in a few different languages, you know, English, Spanish, French, um, you know, Chinese. Uh, and one of the things that I would really like to do as we expand is to make sure that the kind of informational resources that are out there in those languages also get translated into more languages, more languages that don't have that kind of material on the internet. And so, for example, you know, our Sexual Health Resource Center is currently in 21 languages, but I, you know, my goal is to get it in about 100, including some sign languages, including some indigenous languages. And, you know, you asked before about the differences between working at nonprofit and working for a corporation. For me, uh, one of the kind of most exciting things is that having less constraints on my funding means that I can do experiments like putting our Sexual Health Resource Center in Quechua, right, or other Latin American indigenous languages. And we'll find out if people want to receive that information in those languages. You know, we can, we can afford to experiment and really do some innovative things like that. 
I, I appreciate that you're taking that into consideration, and I'm glad that you're growing with this position. I was surprised recently they actually put you as like the spokesperson uh, over the when Grinder was in the news about personal information that was being shared with contracted ven- uh, vendors that were working on a debugging process, and rather than having the CEO, they had actually you give out the statement. Can you uh, share with what you what Grinder is doing to avoid this type of uh, information sharing in the future? Sure. So you know, I think there was a lot of confusion actually when the report started to come out about um, our data privacy practices. Uh, one thing that people started to believe based on sort of incomplete information or headlines was that we might be selling information. Um, And I I think the most important thing for me to say about this whole situation is really that we have never and would never sell uh, user profiles and especially not HIV information to anyone, advertisers or otherwise. And so, you know, the two companies that we work with that people were concerned about the way that we might be sharing information with them were not advertisers. They were contractors who we actually hired, you know, to help us to do certain things to the app and to work with our data and really just to give us tools, actually, to use ourselves. Um, But what we are doing moving forward is actually we've isolated HIV-related information from the rest of our data in a way that even further limits who on the Grindr team could ever have any access to it. Grindr is growing, and I'm glad that they've added a social justice, social responsibility aspect to it. What more things can we see from Grindr in the future? You know, I think that a lot more uh, is coming, both in terms of the app itself and also my work with Grindr for Equality. You know, I mentioned the language access piece. I also really um, would like to go further with the ways that we kind of empower users to take control of their health through the app. Uh, We recently launched testing reminders. So if you choose to put your last test date on your profile, you can also opt into a reminder that would say, you know, it lets you choose to be reminded every, um, you know, three months or six months, kind of depending on your testing practices. And it will also point you to where to get tested. I was just about to say, if they could just link that to an actual place that they could hopefully get a low cost or free exam, that would be amazing. Yeah. And right now we link to, for the U.S., you know, it's it's easy to find your closest testing location. You can just go to aids.gov and everything is there. You can opt in to even just have your phone send your location. It'll tell you exactly where the closest testing location is. Um, But that's not true of the entire world, right? So one thing that I would like to kind of further integrate and work on is... um, bringing that kind of access to the rest of the world through Grindr. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for being on the show and for taking your nonprofit heart to this social to this social media app that's just changing the lives of so many communities out there and using your power for good. <laughs> thank you for being on the show. And again, what's that email where they could reach you at? It's equality at Grindr, G-R-I-N-D-R dot com. Thank you, Jack. Thank you so much, Jesse.